shall we? Father, we want to pray that we may just see um, how wonderful you are. Lord Jesus, we want to know how wonderful you are as the light of the world. We thank you that you stepped into our darkness and you blazed light. And we pray, Lord, that we may just uh, encounter you in your word today and be different as a result, that we may reflect that light to others. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Well, we're continuing um, in our kind of journey through John's Gospel, fourth book in the New Testament of the Bible. John, uh, a disciple, a follower of Jesus, who wrote the, these, uh, this account. He was an eyewitness, and he wrote it so that uh, people in his world could make up their minds about Jesus. He says he wrote it so that people could come to an understanding, come to a belief that Jesus is the one God sent uh, and that they may find life from him. That's what he says. That is his stated aim. That's why he wrote this book. And we're in the middle of it in John chapter 8 today. So you might like to turn that up. That's on page 1073 of the Bibles nearby. And in the middle of the kind of story, in the middle of the account, there are people trying to figure out who Jesus is. If you were here last week when we began in John 7, you know, the people were, were saying, well, who is he and what's it all about and, and what do we make of him? Different people like, like his, you know, ordinary people who were in the crowds who just kind of stumbled across him or, or heard him speaking somewhere. Uh, people like his family. Do you remember last week? His family were a bit, a bit kind of sarcastic about it, saying, "You should go to the feast and and so on." If you were here last week, you would remember that. Uh, all the religious authorities, of course, you know, trying to figure out about him and you know, opposing, offended by some of the things he says and he does, and uh, of course, his disciples who are learning more as they're traveling with him. And it's all happening right in the open, particularly at this stage in the gospel. Uh, actually, we're in Jerusalem, uh, where we were last week, or John's gospel has us in Jerusalem with Jesus and the disciples and everyone else that are there at the time. And it's a particularly busy time in Jerusalem. It's one of the great festivals that happened a number of times in the year, um, when all the, uh, the males in uh, Israel were meant to go up to the temple in Jerusalem. This one was called the Feast of Tabernacles. And this festival, when we say the word festival these days, we think about, you know, music and, you know, uh, tents and bad toilets or whatever it is that comes to your mind when you think of a festival. Well, I, I don't know about the toilets, but it was, it was a, bit, a bit like that uh, for the Feast of Tabernacles because there was a lot of camping involved. People used to go up to Jerusalem and they, they'd camp in the streets or they'd hang out in their family courtyards or, or, or with their relatives. It was like a, uh, it was a really joyful, it, it happened at the end of summer after the harvest. It's a big celebration. Actually, this year, if you want to go to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, it's actually the first week in October, uh, which was about the time it was. I think it begins on the 4th of October and it goes on for a week. 
And the weather is very good in Jerusalem at that time. It's about, about mid-twenties in the daytime and kind of mid-teens in the, in the night. So, you know, what could be a better time to go for a festival and, and camp and celebrate and, and, and get, you know, excited about all that God has done. And that was what the Feast of Tabernacles was all about. Because the reason they camped, apart from the need, you know, for space and whatnot, was to kind of relive their experience in the desert when, you know, remember the story of Exodus, how God took them out of Egypt and led them across the, the wilderness to the promised land. And they were kind of reliving that by camping out and having, you know, lots of celebrations and, 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 uh, feasting and just, it was just a great time. It involved water being poured out each day in a big ceremony in part of the temple. And it also involved each evening, they, they lit these huge lamps, four of them, in the, what, uh, the, one of the temple courts, probably the court of the women. No, well, sorry, it was the court of the women. A place called the Court of the Women. And, and these, 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 <laughs> I read somewhere that one of the Jewish writers nearby said these lamps were so enormous, there was like gallons of oil, and they, they made, they used, you know what they used for the wick for the lamp? They used old pre, this priests, you know, you know, they used to have these kind of uh, robes, where they'd have a sash around them, and the old ones that, you know, they, instead of putting them through to recycling, they kept them, and they used them as wicks. For the light. So you can imagine the, the size of these, these four huge kind of, um, possibly seven, uh, or number candlesticks like we think of in the Jewish kind of tradition or, or something like that. Huge. And some writers would say uh, at night time, again, if you think about the, the evening and the, 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 the warm kind of festival, because the temple was on the high up in Jerusalem, so the rest of the city could see the, the kind of golden kind of glow of these huge lamps that were all part of, of the festival, all that was uh, going on there. And that's where we are. So let's read John 8, verse 12 onwards, because that's the atmosphere. This is where Jesus is at the time when he speaks these words. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. And Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true. Because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. And they asked him, where is your Father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. And once more Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, Will he kill himself? Is that what he says? Why he says, where I go, you cannot come? 
But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Jesus, the light of the world. It's a big claim, isn't it? So here's Jesus in the temple teaching people. He's already told them that he can give them uh, water, uh, which rang a bell for them in the feast. You can read that in John 7 verse 37. Water to drink. He said, I'll give you spiritual water that will be multiplying out of from you, giving you satisfaction to bless others. And then he tells them that he is the light of the world. He's probably standing in the very court where those four huge lamps were. I'll tell you why we know that. Because did you notice it says he's standing in the court where the offerings were made. And uh, there were these big kind of trumpet-like things you could throw your money in and they go down into a, a, a pot. You know, it's the same place where Jesus in the other gospels on another occasion sees a lady, a very poor lady, putting a small coin that goes into one of those things. So the place where the um, offerings were made were where the place where women could also be and the place where the lamps were was the court of the women. So we can't be absolutely certain but it's very likely that Jesus is actually saying this, I am the light of the world, where, you know, in a courtyard with four huge candles waiting to be lit and light up the temple and Jerusalem around. So here is Jesus then, at this feast, That's all about God coming and rescuing his people, leading them through the desert with light. Remember that pillar of light, the fire that was there at night times and cloud by the day. That time when God led his people through the desert and gave them water that they needed. And Jesus says, I'm the source of life. I'm the source of water. I'm the source of light. That's what you need for life, isn't it? Water and light. Scientists could confirm or deny that if you wish, but I think they're pretty key elements, aren't they? And Jesus said, spiritually speaking, I am light and I am water. I am all that you need. I'm the kind of fundamental for spiritual life. That's a big claim, isn't it? It's a huge claim. And the people who heard it have to get their heads around it. And so will John's readers need to get their heads around it. And maybe if, if you're here not yet a Christian, you're, you, you may be in that place where your head is beginning to feel like you might be exploding. Because it, it's a huge claim that Jesus makes to be the light of the world, to be the source of everything we need for spiritual life. It's huge. More than that, he says, he is the light for the world. See that? The light of the world. So it's more than just Israel, isn't it? 
It's for those outside their community. Now, Isaiah the prophet spoke about how God was going to intervene one day, how God would do an amazing thing in coming through this person he calls the servant. And in Isaiah, there are descriptions of this person called the servant and what he will do. And in one of those predictions, or more than one, actually three, he he uses this phrase. He says of the servant who's coming, he said, you will be a light for the Gentiles. For those outside of God's people, a light for those who don't yet know him. That was a very radical idea if you were a Jewish person. The whole idea that God could be interested in anyone outside of your community was revolutionary. That was a pretty big idea. But it always was God's plan. It was always God's intention. And Isaiah also predicted a time when the nations would want what Israel had. That they would want to be part of this worshipping community where the living God was present at the midst of it. And, and, and Isaiah says, one day people will say, let's go up to the house of the Lord. Let's be part of this. And there'll be people who would normally be barred from it because they weren't Jewish or they weren't inside of the kind of community. And Jesus says, I am light for those outside. He is the one that brings light. He says, I am the light. The only one. The light of the world. Again, huge claim. But he made it. That's what he said as he stood there. I am the light of the world. And he says, and that light is for anyone who follows him. He who follows me, whoever follows me, verse 12, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And just as they followed God's presence in the desert, Jesus says, if you follow me, you will walk in the light of the life I give you, the life of God. The life that comes, spiritual life that comes from the light and the water. Now, do we get this? This is something that we need to get as well. It's easy for us to look down and say, oh, look at those Jewish people. They didn't care about anyone outside of their community. How about us? Do we care about anyone outside of our believing community? Do we get it that Jesus is the light for people who don't yet worship him? Oh. There's this picture in the Old Testament, and and Jesus confirms it here, of of people who are waiting to be in the community, who want to be, uh, or who will have the desire to be part of God's worshipping community of people. In Jesus, is this dead? uh, Yeah, okay. Okay, I'll get it. That's all right, I'll carry on with this one, that's okay. Jesus, yeah, he's promising to... Oh, okay, thanks. I'll take that one. A quick change here. Turn it on. Is it on? Okay, how's that? I'm on the red one now. Okay, got it? I'll, I'll put that there, Dan, if, you, if anyone has a battery that can go into it. Ah, right, so we need to get that, don't we? Because it's a temptation that we can be like the Jewish people who think that people outside won't want it. That's kind of easy to think. that To forget that Jesus is the light for those outside of our worshipping community. 
we think they won't want it. Well, maybe they do. Why don't we invite people to church? Why don't we invite our friends to be part of this community? We do sometimes. Last week, there were about a 100 visitors here for baptism. And I, I had a chat with them, as I'm sure you did, many of them, or some of them, I guess lots of us talked to many of them. I didn't hear any of them going out, you know, cussing and spitting on the ground and saying, I never want to go to something like this again. People who weren't Christians. I spoke to one guy in the car park who said it was really, he said, I'm an agnostic, he said, but it was really great to be somewhere where faith is affirmed. It's nice. Uh, give me, I'll tell you a story. Our next door neighbors are Hindu. <laughs> and uh, we've known them, obviously, since we lived there. And uh, I, I've kind of, they know I'm a Christian. In fact, I've prayed for them. Uh, and, you know, they know that. They sometimes ask me to pray for them. But I've always thought they'd never want to come to church. So I've never invited them. Because um, I thought, well, they're Hindus. They won't want to come. Well, imagine my surprise a few months ago when I was chatting to them. And uh, they, I'd seen them getting in the car on a Sunday morning. And I said, I said uh, have you had a good day? Yeah, they said, we, we, we've been somewhere. It's called New Community. Uh, I said, oh, I said, what, New Community? Church? No, it's not a church, he said. It's called New Community. I said, oh, how'd you get on? He said, it was fantastic. He said, there were, there were, there were lots of young people there and, you know, they were dancing and they were kind of praising and, and worshipping. It was fantastic. We had a great time. So, uh, I, I, so there was, I thinking, he said, some friends of ours, they invited us to it. It was fantastic. So I was really humbled and rebuked. I thought, well, I thought they wouldn't want to come to a church. Uh, I did say to him, well, I said, I would have, sorry, I should have invited you to our church, but I didn't think you'd want to come. Oh, he said, well, do you have pete girls dancing in your church? <laughs> I don't think he meant dancing girls, quite like dancing girls, but anyway. So I said, well, no, not quite like that, but it, you know, what you said anyway. So, but that, see the point, the point I'm making? We think people won't, won't want to come. We forget that Jesus is the light of the world. So why don't we invite them? Well, sometimes it's because we're frightened or embarrassed, or we think it might not work, and how do we deal with that? Well, on your notice sheet, on the the third page, on uh, the 11th of March, come along to uh, New Covenant Life Church, where Michael Harvey is uh, doing a morning's kind of session, nine till one, on this whole thing. Why is it that we're so scared to invite people to church? And how can we move from that to find just the joy of seeing God work in those kind of ways? So if you're free, do come. It's free and it's great. We've, we've, uh, Mike, we, Lou and I and others have met Michael and he's really, really helpful. And, uh, I can really stress that this is a way, or maybe just to the, well, any, any Sunday, invite someone. Because do, do we realize that as, as I invite someone to join me at church, and I'm taking Jesus' promise to be the light of the world seriously. I'm inviting people to see the light shining in the people here. Not just church, though. We can do lots of other things as well, of course. So, he is the light of the world. Well, the religious leaders question that, don't they? The Pharisees are hanging out in the temple. They don't like the sound of this. Uh, and they challenge Jesus. How can he say such things, they say? They raise a minor point, as you see in about verse 13, 
uh, about you know claiming to be something just on your own without a witness. It was kind of their thought that you know, especially the claims Jesus is making. What you know, okay, it's all very well for you, Jesus, to say these things, but you know, give us a reference. You know, well, that's what they meant, like a witness. You know, how how can we be? How can we take what you say seriously without a witness kind of backing you up? And that's a, it's a bigger question, isn't it? One of the huge claims you may be thinking about if you're not yet a Christian is, is, yeah, how, you know, how can I, you know, how does, sorry, what right does Jesus have to say something like this? What possible right does, does a human being, uh, standing in the court of Jerusalem in the temple, what right has he got to say, I am the light of the world? And, and certainly what right has that got to apply to us today? I mean, it's a re- not, not an unreasonable question to be thinking about. And one of the things John is doing is he, he kind of, as we steadily walk through John's gospel, he, he's kind of exposing us to the Jesus he knew, the things he said, the things he did, in, in, in the light of that reasonable question. It's not an unreasonable question. If you're sitting here thinking, well, why should I believe what Jesus says? Fair enough. Why should you? I mean, what he says is pretty massive. Could change your whole life. And, and, and it's that that Jesus is, is, is kind of tackling. So let's look at the conversation. It's a bit back and forth, but Jesus makes some key points and uh, he clarifies to them. First of all, he, you notice several times he talks about coming from the Father. He says, look, I, I'm not just kind of speaking on my own. He says, I've come from the Father. He says it in verse 14, and then he keeps uh, re- reiterating it through the passage. More than that, he says, he's been sent from God. The Father who sent me. That's a phrase that we read in this part of John's Gospel four times. And it keeps on coming up through John's Gospel. You might notice it. He is one who the the Father has sent. The Father is not just the Father as it were, as it is in, in Matthew, Mark and Luke, where it's about the relationship of intimacy that Jesus has with his Father and that he invites us into, for example, when we pray the Lord's Prayer. But in John's Gospel, it's very much about the Father sent him. He's the one the Father has sent. And again, that's not, not something that's irrelevant for today because if we, if God exists and if we're to know Him, if He's to communicate with us, if He, if He wants to rescue us and, and bring us back to Himself, how else is He going to, um, kind of reveal Himself to us? Surely the best way would be to, to send someone or to come Himself into our world. You know, the old illustration, just like if I'm, if, if I'm a human being and imagine ants have a little ant-like world, how am I going to communicate with those ants? The best way to communicate with those ants is to become an ant and learn their ways, talk their language and do their little anty things and also tell them about life outside ant world. See what I mean? That's the kind of um, idea. Jesus is saying, I've been sent by God. The second thing he says is that the Father is with him. Verse 16, I stand with the Father. He says, what I do, what I say, who I am, it's not just me, but God is revealing God. You can see God in what I'm doing. That's what Jesus is saying to them. So what he speaks, what he teaches to the world in verse 26 is from God, verse 28. In verse 29, he spells it out very clearly. He says, what I do, the Father is doing. His words and his actions, he says, please the Father. 
So the Father is with him. God is with me, says Jesus to these skeptics. And if you want, you know, you, you, if you look at what I'm doing, look at what I'm saying, look at the person I am, and you'll see that for yourself. It's there to be seen. And again, this is all part of our message, the message we share. Jesus, his teaching, his person, the the life he lived. This is kind of the evidence we share. What do you make of Jesus Christ? Where has he come from? How does he fit? No one could have made him up if, if it's not true. All those kind of arguments. You know, if he didn't say, I'm the light of the world, who thought of that? Some committee somewhere in the third century? You know, all the teaching he made, where did all that stuff come from? You know, it, 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 it's molded the whole kind of half the, half the world follows this stuff. So where, you know, where is it from? Do you see what I mean? The, the, this is the, the kind of, you know, that, that is an extension of what Jesus is saying to the people here. God is with me. And he also talks about being on a journey from the Father and going somewhere else. It says in verse 21, and it causes them some confusion. He says, I'm going away. And then he goes on to, to hint about what he means. In verse 28, he talks about being lifted up. Now that's an interesting phrase. Actually, the same phrase is used of crucifixion. Later in John's Gospel, it's actually was a kind. I think I think I may be wrong, but someone said that you know, like when we used to hang people, we used to say someone would swing for it. You know, bit of a not very nice analogy, but but when in those days the equivalent, if someone was going to be crucified, they said they'll be lifted up because they were when they were crucified. It's kind of an idiom, and Jesus is is kind of referring to that here. And there was a soldier at the cross, wasn't there, who saw Jesus die, a Roman, wasn't a Christian, saw him lifted up. What does he say? Surely this man was the son of God. It's in John's gospel. Actually, that, that what Jesus said there came true in the life of that soldier in John, uh, in, in John. And John specifically says, that's an eyewitness statement. I know it's true. I checked it out. The soldier, that is. Later on in John's Gospel, Jesus predicts that the cross will do that for people. And again, the message of the cross is part of the evidence. It carries its own weight. And many of us will know in our own experiences of how when we've suddenly understood what happened at the cross, it clarifies who Jesus is. Something drops into place as we turn and we trust Jesus because of what he did when he was lifted up on the cross. So this claim then for Jesus to be the light of the world is questioned. And he shows what he means by it. It's huge. It's massive to get our heads round. But some of the people here, it says, in verse 30, believed. How did they get there? How did they get to that point? Let's look at that for a moment. Because they responded to the evidence, didn't they? And so can we. Jesus warns those listening to him in verse 24 and in verse 28. Did you notice that? It sounds a bit chilling, really. He said, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he, verse 24. And he repeats the same thing, uh, verse 28, that I am he. You need to believe that I am he. 
What's that all about? Well, remember, what's the festival all about? The festival is about the exodus, isn't it? It's about the Old Testament story of them being released from slavery. Now, you know the story, if you know it. Some people died in the desert, didn't they? They didn't make it because they didn't believe that God was providing for the promised land. And maybe Jesus is here saying, you know, again, because the exodus is in the minds of all these Jewish people listening to him, he's sending them a warning. He said they didn't believe, and there's a warning there. But also, the desert rescue story begins with God introducing himself to Moses. Do you remember that at the, at the burning bush? Moses starts off becoming the whole program when he meets God. And God, at that point, gives Moses his name. Moses says, who shall I say? God says, you've got to go and tell the people of Israel they're to come out of Egypt. I'm going to take them out and they're going to worship me here in this desert later. And God says, well, who shall I say? And, and God says, this is my name. My name is I Am. Remember that? That was the, the, the particular name God gave for the Israelites to symbolize his rescuing, revealing nature. I Am. Uh, it was such a kind of holy name that they weren't allowed to say it. It was written down in Hebrew consonants. They left the vowels out. It's where we get the word Yahweh from. It, it, it appears as J-H-W-H in Hebrew because it was thought to be so holy you couldn't actually say it. You couldn't, or you couldn't write it down in full. And Jesus is surely saying that as God led them out of the desert, so he would do the same. He is the one they can trust. And if they don't trust in him, then they're not going to get there. Jesus is saying he's God. And we'll have more of that next week because he makes it even more explicit. If you don't believe I am, then there's a warning. And Jesus reminds the crowd again at the end of this section in verses 28 to 29 of the evidence. And what is the evidence? The things he does. The things he says. God being with him. The evidence in this journey he's making to the cross. And Jesus is saying that's enough to believe. And John gives us this gospel full of amazing accounts of how God worked through Jesus, how Jesus taught amazing things, how he came, how he died, how he rose, how he he kind of came on this journey to bring us God's rescue. And Jesus' life, Jesus' teaching, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, all of this is evidence enough for us to believe. But of course there's more. Because we see him in what he does in people's lives. And maybe you've seen that. And that's evidence too. Of God at work. Of what Jesus can do. And as I say, for many in the crowd, that's enough. They see that and they believe. And we can do the same. We can see that evidence. We can believe. We can respond. We can know his life. And people we know can too. But before we finish, let's think about what it's like to believe in Jesus. What happens when his light shines on you? Because I want to read, in closing, this little passage at the beginning of John 8. It's in small letters here in our Bibles. Because it uh, 
certainly, experts believe, does not belong in John's Gospel. But the experts would also say it belongs somewhere. It is a true event. It's referred to in other places in the early church. Um, some people think it might have more of Luke's writing on it than John's. But, but it's, 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 everybody agrees it happened, but they're just not sure whether it fits in John's gospel. Well, I want to read it because it is, I think, revealing. Look at it. Verse, uh, one, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Verse two, at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts. So we're in the same place, perhaps not the same time, where all the people gathered round him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were asked using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of any one of sorry, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stopped. Sorry, again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Because this shows what does it look like when the light shines. Jesus has warned the, the guys that he was talking to, if they don't believe in, that, that he is the one God sent, if they don't accept his rescue, they will die in their sin. Well, let's see what Jesus does when confronted with someone who has sinned. We see the way the light works. The woman is thrown at Jesus' feet. There's no sign of the man. The law said that both parties, you can't commit adultery on your own. If according to them, she was caught in the act of adultery, then she couldn't have been on her own, could she? Because there's no sign of the guy involved. It's a bit of a clue. He's told, Jesus is told to approve her execution or to deny the law. But if he did either, it would get him into trouble. Uh, he'd be in trouble with the Romans because the Jews weren't allowed to execute anyone. You see that at the crucifixion. If he says she can't, she doesn't have to be executed, then it would, you know, they could accuse him of not taking the Old Testament law seriously. Well, what happens? Well, we've just read it, haven't we? Jesus waits. He writes. Interesting, he turns the issue from the woman's particular sins, that she was sleeping with this guy and they weren't married, to the sin of those all around. The light starts to uncover the sin in all the men who bought her in the first place. Because Jesus says, okay, um, the person who hasn't got any sin, they better be the first one to throw a stone then. (laughs) And they all... Realize. Interesting, the older guys realize first they've probably got more to reflect on than the younger ones. And she's alone with Jesus. Who condemns you? No one. Jesus says, neither will I. You see, we're all in the same boat. None of us can honestly condemn someone else. 
Jesus, the only one without sin, chooses not to condemn her, but gives her the power to live in a new way. He says, I don't condemn you. You go and live in a new way. Stop sinning. Leave it behind you. That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus, the one sent from the Father, does. He, he will go to the cross. In John's Gospel, it said God gave his only Son. Jesus said the Son of Man must be lifted up. There's that word again. He uses it in John 3. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. That's the light of life he brings. Not condemnation, but the possibility of walking not in darkness, but following in him in the light of life. That's what he offers that woman, isn't it? You can follow me in the light of life. You can follow me in a life that is not dominated by what's wrong. That's what God is like. Jesus only does, he says, what pleases the Father. All he does is through the Father. And this is the Father who in Jesus invites us to leave our sin behind. He invites you, me and you to leave our sin behind and follow him in a new life, in his light. Beautiful, isn't it? It's what he's like. So why don't we do that and share that with others?